can talk about film with a philosopher's zeal or measure them all by box office appeal but for once in your life be real i remember you guys you used to review movies on the morning announcements what have you been doing this whole time Welcome one and all to Be Real, a movie reviewing, reappraising, genre hopping podcast on the Playlist Podcast Network. My name is Chance Solem Pfeiffer. And I'm Noah Ballard. You just did a little dance. Can I say that? Well, I'm at my standing desk, which not only engages dancing my desk. mind more, but also it, it encourages me to have like a full body experience when recording the podcast. And we know, bless you, that that comes through in this medium for sure. Especially if I insist on talking about it. Uh, gang, we're thrilled to be back for uh, to talk about three movies of a similar genre, as is our want. We are talking about high school reunion films, which is a great little subgenre of very weird little movies. Um, our official hook is that uh, Romy and Michelle's high school reunion is turning 25. Um, it feels fitting, perhaps, that uh, one is doing an anniversary show. About anniversary movies. Noah, what uh, what else are we talking about? We're going to do Peggy Sue Got Married, 86, Francis Ford Coppola. I don't even think I knew that this movie existed before wow. this week. Um, and then Central Intelligence with uh, The Rock and Kevin Hart, 2016. Yep. That's right. Um, for those screaming into their earbuds we why didn't you do gross point blank exactly we burned that several years ago on an episode called you can't go home again um watched a little bit of uh gross point blank this morning funny movie good movie great movie which i think was our official opinion on the pod Ackroyd is probably the worst part of that Ackroyd like two-handing guns as the the casting of Ackroyd as an assassin makes John Cusack as, a, as an assassin seem so believable. Totally. They're just real people. It's a very gritty film. That's yeah, not what I meant. Um, great line, though. I did write down a, a, a level of wit that I wish some of our other movies today could aspire to where Joan Cusack is like, John, you should go to the high school reunion. And he's like, "Why? come on. Why would anyone go to that? Did you go to yours? And Joan Cusack says, yes, I did. And it was as if everyone had swelled, <laughs> which is a real great line. That is a great line. Um, and at the end, Noah has promised me I can have 45 minutes to talk about Beautiful Girls, the film, not the concept. The real question is, have you ever been to a high school reunion? I have. I actually went to my 10-year... A couple of years ago. This is like right before the I pandemic. I think I knew that. No, it wasn't right before the pandemic. It was 2017. It was 10 years after I graduated. I guess that was slightly before the pandemic, <laughs> but not like ago. right, right before. Whatever. And I had a great time. I got to tell you, it was nice to see a certain amount of people. It was nice to see the people that had swelled. Um, <laughs> I got really... You swelled with pride. I, got, fun I, I yeah, My liver swelled that night. We were at the the uh there's this like area nightclub thing that's it's always something else and my formative years around it was called cat man it's like in the the greater trenton area okay uh, of which lawrenceville is a suburb um but yeah it it's this like it's it's one of the places where one of these movies would take place uh it's a place that like you'd rent out for like a big group and then is also a restaurant 
most of these movies imagine high school reunions as basically like the prom part two right like almost where they like like they crown new kings and queens and i think like most of these movies i don't think most high school reunions are like that are they there was just a lot of drinking and a lot of bad behavior glad handing was there a lot of handshaking a lot of hugging there was a photo booth but it wasn't like a particularly romantic or catastrophized experience as most of these movies put it or was it i have to say i i think i got pretty close to my romy and michelle like alan cummings got a new face fantasy (laughs) how so i don't know i like wore a cool outfit and had some good conversations and talked about work and like was impressive enough that people were like, Oh, that guy's like less of a doofus than he was the last time I interacted with him. And I like my ego swelled the way it's supposed to swell. And you know, it was fine. You wore a cool shirt. I wore a cool outfit. What did you wear? A cool blazer and like a button down shirt. Like no, at a professional function. You've taken this, You've taken both this question and high school reunions so seriously that it's frankly disgusting. What What did you want me to say? Tell a funny story. But no. You didn't think that was funny? The, I think it's funny that you thought that you wore a cool outfit. I'm sure it was I'm sure it was handsome. When's when's yours? Have you gone? Did I guy... missed it? You missed was there a an event that you just didn't go to? There was. Apparently our former principal Mr. Begley gave a tour of the new pool and talked about school security, and I would have liked to have been on that tour making fun of You're it. You're really like the Janine Garofalo to my Romy and Michelle here. You're like you above you're the whole Romy thing, and, and that someone wanted some emotional well, you know, payoff from this event is somehow a <laughs> some embarrassing figure here. And to be honest, prob- this is probably more accurate than you know. The only funny story I have around this is... I think my friend John, like a couple years before, had been like, it's probably coming up. And I was like, I don't want to go to that. And then I saw him in like 2019, a few months later. He's like, hey, I went. It was pretty fun. And I was like, wait, what? I didn't even know we had it. He was like, you told me you would never go. And it's like, well, I would have liked to have been invited. (laughs) So that was, that's as close as I get. So you're the Janine Garofalo. I am. It's a correct statement. Wow. All right. Um... So let's dig into these movies. Let's start with Romy and Michelle's High School Reunion, 97. A movie you've seen, Noah? No. A movie that I, like, remember seeing, like, a poster for at the mall walking around and being like, huh, a movie not targeted directly at me. Weird. And then never (laughs) thinking about it ever again. It was 11 Um, years old. Or it was 9 years old or something. My impression is that it is beloved by its fans a cult movie in that sense sure i'd Um, put it in the clueless and drop dead gorgeous kind of milieu yeah this like exists in that clueless window where it's like the joke is that these like beautiful um conspicuous consumer young women like the joke is on how silly and dumb they are but also like the movie has a real heart toward them and their friendship and their relationships to uh other young women which is a very funny balance that i think it keeps intact well let me read the synopsis do it too (laughs) dim-witted 
The synopsis may not share the movie's affection for the characters. <laughs> the synopsis has no affection for these characters. Two dim-witted, inseparable friends hit the road for their 10-year high school reunion and concoct an elaborate lie about their lives in order to impress their classmates. Remember the prom? You got so thin by then. I was so lucky getting mono. That was like the best diet ever. Meet Romy and Michelle. Remember that time I barfed from really bad Mexican food? So gross. I hate throwing up in public. Me too! They walk the walk. God, this underwear is totally riding up my butt. (laughs) They talk the talk. Romy, did you lose weight? All I've had to eat for the past six days are gummy bears, jelly beans, and candy corn. God, I wish I had your discipline. But at their high school reunion... Are you going? I'd rather put this out in my right eye. Um, okay. (laughs) They'll be in a class by themselves. We can go to the reunion and just pretend to be successful. Oh, my God. From this point on, we are sophisticated, successful career women. Which one of these guys will I have sex with at their reunion? I would argue that this this synopsis is, is harsh in two places. One... Dimwitted is kind of mean. And two, yeah. I don't know that it's an elaborate lie. They say that they no. invented post-its as In the fact, reason that they're well. One of the great jokes of the movie is that it takes them 45 minutes to figure out that they could just lie. They right. spend... <laughs> they so have it's... to see like an advertorial of somebody who's not actually like a weather person to be like, wait, sometimes people pretend they're other people <laughs> for their own benefit. Which is after a very like funny 20-minute thing of them being like, well, we have to become successful people in seven days or whatever. And they're like, we can't do this. It's hard. <laughs> is there something where you don't tell the truth? Right. So um, it's directed by David Merkin, um, who was the showrunner for The Simpsons in like the season five, six area. And interestingly enough, he was sort of credited with bringing like a more creative kind of surrealist streak to that show and what's considered its absolute prime. Um, and I think some of that definitely pops up in this movie as well. Um, based on a play by Robin Schiff, who used to be in The Groundlings with Lisa Kudrow back in the 80s, um, originated these characters uh, in something called Ladies' Room. Um, and then let's talk uh, Lisa Kudrow and Mira Sorvino. Uh we're a couple years into Friends at this point, so Lisa Kudrow's star is on the rise. I know that you are a Friends devotee. I am not. How close is this to Phoebe? It's so funny because she's equally like kooky, but I mm-hmm. would say this character almost has nothing in common with Phoebe. What do you think the biggest difference is? I don't know. Like I, I mean, I think you touched on it earlier. The idea of being consumerist. You know, I think this is more of in that clueless space that like Southern California, like chasing some branded version of whatever. Whereas like Phoebe's more granola-y and like kind of anti-consumerist and anti-capitalist and very much about vibes. Whereas, and I also think that like Michelle is a far meaner character than Phoebe, like especially through, because they kind of change during that, that fantasy once they actually get to the reunion. But the idea that they're, like, not nice to a lot of these people. Like, that's part of the joke, too. Mm-hmm. We should say that where the movie finds them 10 years after high school is living together in an apartment in Venice Beach, just watching Pretty Woman for the millionth time. Um, 
and you get the sense that they've been doing exactly the same thing two inseparable best friends for for 10 years they they kind of have like almost like a bill and ted thing going on where it's like how old are they and have they ever spent two seconds apart and they both kind of talk like each other even though mira sorvino's voice will we'll do an hour on that um well fun tidbit about the pretty woman being there like go-to yeah. cult movie is that it's also produced by Lawrence Mark who produced this movie. So the rights were probably controlled by him. There you go. They saved some money. <laughs> That's there, a so workaround for uh, one scene all of something on in your movie. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, definitely spend it on all on Cindy Lauper. What, what were you asking me about? Mira Sorvino. Well, so I, I texted you about this. I think she kind of in 2022 glasses has that Elizabeth Holmes voice, which is I went so and funny. To some, yeah. And I let and listen to some Elizabeth Holmes. I'd never heard her talk. Uh, you're very right. You're. Yeah. Well, I mean, and then voice. it's also come back into prevalence because Amanda Seyfried is doing it on the dropout on Hulu. Uh, yeah. It's like chance. Why are we? It's like deep too. It's deep. Chance. I I would throw in like it's got like a hint of like a like Wisconsin Keanu Reeves. Like right. She, at some point, she's like, "And we'll have two diet cokes." <laughs> like yes. there are definitely like some why in the middle of coke. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> that has nothing to do with like a, just a deep voice. It's a it's a separate choice entirely. But it's so good and i think it makes her very like when she's in the scenes where it's just her carrying it and it's not the dynamic between the two of them like when she's at the jaguar dealership yeah i I think it really works because she kind of has this assertiveness with the people around her whether it's the people on this massive line like waiting to pay for their car repairs or it's the you know the staff behind her like she has everything in her control she's a competent person so that's why i take issue with dim-witted because they are they do know how to survive in a specific way. It's kind of like legally blonde in that sense too. Well, see, I think that's an interesting point from the synopsis we're litigating because I think one of the big lessons of the movie is when they kind of make up later on, Michelle's like, well, I thought we were doing pretty well, Romy, until you told me our lives weren't good enough. <laughs> like, their lives are right. fine. Like, if this is what they want to be doing, like, that's cool. It's just the weird, <laughs> the weird contrived pressure of this reunion suddenly makes them feel like they have to accelerate their timelines that weren't even their own. Totally. Yeah. I, I mean, I think a lot of these movies really, you know, the high school reunion does present that question of like where I have gone in the past 10 years. Like, what does it mean and how does it stack up against the other people I was in the machine with? And it does kind of create a, you know, a, a, a really, I don't know, potent kind of source of tension. Yeah. People start judging Like, themselves. all these movies have stakes. Like, as weird as some of them are, they yeah. all have that stakes of, like, oh, they're not going to be really embarrassed in front of their people again, are they? Like, oh, don't make me go through that. <laughs> yeah. And there is a level of, I think there's, like, a level of psychosis, frankly, that enters all three movies when people are, like, I'm being held up to the same standard that I thought I was being held up to at my absolute most sensitive moment. And it makes people tell crazy lies or pass out on stage or um, go work out six hours a day every day for 25 years. 
That's a that's what the rock says in Central Intelligence. It's also what Romy wants to do for a while. Here's if we burn forty thousand calories. <laughs> Those gym scenes are hilarious. They're just working out at like the largest gym, not only in Los Angeles but maybe the world. Right, and they're also wearing like not exactly appropriate clothing for working out, like at the vigor that they're working out. Perhaps uh, I thought the Dorito scene was hilarious <laughs> when they're like trying to make these life changes and. Um, uh, Mira Sorvino as Romy just like grabs a half of a Dorito out of Lisa Kudrow's Michelle's hand. She's like, that wasn't even a full chip. Like, what difference would that have been? <laughs> they do a good job of setting up. I mean, they, in some ways, they feel like mirror images of each other. So, like, of course, they're close friends. But they kind of sprinkle out early on the fact that these two are going to have a falling out because they have this sort of like believable friendship dynamic imbalance where Romy is like a little bossier and judgmental and Michelle clearly kind of goes along with like whatever she wants. Um, when, when the, when the falling out does actually happen as ridiculous as it is of being like, well, you're just more believable as like the designer of post-it notes, not the inventor. <laughs> um, <laughs> Like, you know why Michelle gets mad, because that's, like, a dynamic that's unfolded over 10 years. Totally. Yeah, no, and I think it's funny to see their little fights, like, along the way that are nothing, but then compound into, yeah, what is ultimately a pretty believable friendship between two people who just spend all their time together. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. They argue about similar things as you and I do. What? I'm the inventor of Post-Its. It's not like you did nothing, Chance. You came up with the fact that they'd be yellow. And it was your <laughs> uncle or whatever who had the idea. <laughs> oh, my God. I want to be the the Janine Garofalo. This, this movie has such a great and surprising supporting cast. Can we talk about mm-hmm. that? Sure. You got Janine Garofalo, Alan Cumming, uh, Cameron Mannheim, Justin Thoreau. Elaine Hendricks, who people know right. as the Vicky, the evil woman from Parent Trap. Uh, love her she's got a good bit where even when she's part of the bully group of girls the a group in the high school flashback she's like it's kind of interesting those weird clothes they design for themselves and all the other girls are like lisa what the fuck are you talking about and lisa goes on to be like a vogue editor there's like a odd fluidity happening in the movie because romy and michelle are not easily classifiable by like john hughes right because they also like she had that neck brace and like they keep saying that uh Romy was fat, though. No, I don't know that they like. They never give her like the full Eddie Murphy or anything in the flashback scenes. That seemed more like a judgmental joke. Of everyone thought they this don't deep was fake fat. her on the creepiest body you've ever seen. <laughs> we'll have to talk about central intelligence in a while. <laughs> um, I was watching like a very brief uh, featurette on the DVD on the making of the. The Rock deep fake? No, about Romy and Michelle. <laughs> and Mira Servino had this very funny line where she just goes, you know, it's it's not reality-based comedy, which I thought was such a funny description of a movie where I, the whole time I'm like, am I going insane or is this movie directed in a very weird way? And I maintain that it is directed very strangely. I would argue that like the movie itself has a weird personality to it beyond the plot. Like it's almost like a Terry Zweigoff kind of thing with like specifically that scene where they try to pull out of town and the car keeps backfiring and stalling. And Footloose keeps playing over and over again. 
like what is that other than the universe of the movie being like fuck you a little bit like fuck you a little like maybe you shouldn't go like fuck you it like it reminded me of the bus not coming from uh, ghost world or something yeah well and then like it's it's kind of subversive too because like the rule of threes would be like the car then stops a final time but they kind of just go woo 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 and then they then it goes and you're like what is happening in here um it but i think i i I agree with you but i think zvigov movies are actually like um you can there's like more of like an auteur like fingerprint on them sometimes i think this the directing just gives over to like bizarre ineptness like the match cut to the lantern from the yearbook but it's like a very bad photo of the lantern at the prom right. in the yearbook. And then there's like one dissolve where it's like Lisa Crudeau's just like walking away from a conversation and the camera just kind of like ends in the middle of her businesswoman suit. Like it just zooms in on her stomach and the scene is over. It's those are like really haphazard. But also sometimes, yeah, it just feels like it's directed by their codependence. It it feels like um like these two are moving through the world and they're the only ones that are there and people will come up to them and instead of saying like hello they will like pause and leave as many beats as Mira or Lisa wants to like start the comedy which kind of makes it seem like like everybody else is like an NPC or something in the story of these two wackos oh like in free guy like in free guy love free guy um yeah i could see that I also think too that yeah the the directing choices or lack thereof in this movie is just sort of hilarious. I I think it's nuts to in a ninety two minute movie have like a twenty minute fantasy sequence. Yeah. Like it, that's that, really not that much different than how weird the actual thing ends up being. Right. <laughs> it's this really odd dream that almost feels like a weird the homage to Peggy Sue got married. Yeah. And. Yeah, and like the weirdest things happen, but I would say what ends up happening is far weirder. Or it's, yeah, just as. Um, or just as, yeah. And so it's so it's so odd that we kind of go through almost two reunions you do. Like fully playing out in the same amount of time. Not having any idea in my case that the first one was a dream. Because it takes no, so long. I mean, because of how weird... The only time where I was like, oh, it's a dream is when Alan Cummings shows up in, like, the the mask. New face. <laughs> in a new face. And they hand out the awards, most changed for the better since high school. All right. Now, just remember, from this point on, we are sophisticated, educated, successful career women. Right. Okay. Underwear is totally riding up my butt crap. Yeah. Hello. Um, we need something to go. Okay. Do you have some sort of businesswoman special? Come again? Well, we're businesswomen. Yeah, from LA. And you know, some places have like a lunch special for businesswomen. We don't have anything like that. This movie just has also many, many wonderful lines. Sarah and I were just howling. Um, I know that people are probably sick of us talking about how 
uh, very polished characters get worried and comparing that to Patrick Bateman. But Romy has a fair bit of that where she's like, she said that she invented post-its and the girls who've all become housewives don't believe her. And she just goes, hey, if anyone needs to make a call, I have a phone. <laughs> Which <laughs> is just a bubblier version of my after it turns videotapes, I think. Um Let's see. We've got, uh, oh, what a deludinoid, which I'd like to start calling people um, when they show, show up at the diner uh, and they're like, do you have a businesswoman's like lunch special? And Lisa <laughs> Excuse <laughs> me. Michelle says, we're doing Tucson later. That's amazing. Yeah. Just give us two burgers and fries. We're in a hurry. The best one by far is... Uh, so Michelle goes off to try to do get the pretty woman retail job in Beverly Hills or whatever. Um, and Romy goes to try to get them both boyfriends, I guess, at a club. And one of these like non-playable characters like wanders up to her and doesn't say anything. <laughs> and she's like, I love your suit. And the guy's like, it's Armani. And she's like, oh, so what do you do? And he's like, I'm a suit salesman. And she says... Oh, well, I cut my foot earlier and my shoe is filling with blood. And then she lifts <laughs> li- away. That was great. I really wanna... liked the the Romy, um, the like faked sex scene to get the car. Very funny. I thought that was great. I had a great time watching this it movie. Was, it's a lot of fun. As much as we're making fun of it and a lot of it. As much of it that doesn't land, uh, so much of it does. I don't, honestly, it's so weird and so kind of esoteric and doing its own thing that, like, I actually don't think I can point to that much stuff that doesn't land. Um, I think it's, like, pretty solidly in its own universe. Uh, and so other than me being like, why the fuck is this scene directed like an after-school special where, like, these the extras are like way too close in the background but we don't know who they are and then like there's a bunch of like white sky space like way too much over the, it it's very oddly made but that only serves to make it i think more interesting i love that the tagline for Janine Garofalo's cigarette brand is twice the taste in half the time for the gal on the go. <laughs> I love how these 90s movies, like this movie also, you know, is in that same space as like 200 cigarettes. Have you seen that awful? Like, it's basically the the prequel to New Year's Eve. It like follows oh, no. these young people in lower Manhattan over the course of a New Year's Eve. Okay. And there's just like just the copious cigarette smoking, yeah. And just scene to scene, and just I don't know. It's got that kind of dirty '90s Kevin Smith thing about it, hmm. which um, I like aesthetically. Yeah. Why don't we tell people how we rate movies on this program and rate Romy Michelle's High School Reunion? Will it be most improved student or something less? On Be Real, we rate movies in two categories, a good or bad for technical quality and a good or bad for watchability. So what are the four possible ratings? I don't care! Good, good movies are both well-made and highly entertaining. The Fugitive, Parasite, Rear Window, or The Hunt for Red October. Once more, we play our dangerous game. 
Good-bad movies are often impressive technically, but also tough sits. Historical melodramas like The Mission, horror movies too scary or gross to rewatch, or self-serious musicals like Yentl. Papa, can you hear me? Conversely, bad-good movies are highly flawed but still gratifying. Nonsensical hangouts like Hot Tub Time Machine or ludicrously fun action fare like Twister or Stargate. Give my regards to King Todd, asshole. Bad, bad movies are neither well-made nor entertaining. Examples we've covered, unfortunately, include Garden State, Fifty Shades of Grey, and Attack of the Clones. I'm deeply sorry, Master. Got all that? Time for a rating. I think this movie is pretty quintessential bad good. I think technically it is bonkers. I think there's not that much of a script there. I think it takes about 45 minutes to get to that central question of like, oh, we have to go to our reunion and we could just make up a a lie about who we are and like see how the chips fall. Um, I think that, I don't know, like I said, I think the fantasy sequence is truly insane and kind of like vamping for not having more story there. Uh, But it's fun. It's so fun. Uh, The comedy is hilarious. Uh, the the chemistry between all the characters. Like, I even think the Garofalo and Justin Thoreau thing is, like, has a nice little poignancy to it. Um, yeah. You know, the Cameron Mannheim's really good at the... She's doing the role that uh, Melissa Joan Hart does in uh, Can't Hardly Wait. Like, sign my yearbook! Mm-hmm. And I think she does that very well. Yeah, it's a it's a fun thing. Like, if you are preparing for your high school reunion... Uh, it's a movie to kind of act out your weird extended fantasies in. I don't disagree. I'm just a little higher on it. I think if you're a movie that only sets out to vamp and then does it really, really, really well, as I think this one does, I think you're a good, good. Um, I, it doesn't, it really just doesn't engage with like more of the kind of structural building that would happen in a story like this and instead just chooses to replace it with like endlessly quotable lines after you know crazy goofball um superficiality um and really made me think different about Mira Sorvino who I think it was sort of a casualty of not only Harvey Weinstein but like just like not a lot of good parts in the late 90s I think the only time we've had to talk about her was not even on our program it was in the when we went on the Kilmer cast talk about at first sight a movie that she's bad in because the movie is terrible um (laughs) (laughs) she's not good in beautiful girls I've never seen the Woody Allen movie that she won the Golden Globe for Mighty Aphrodite did you ever see that I haven't seen it anyway no I should do a Woody Allen retrospective no that's a great idea um but I think it's like a legitimate like comedic tour de force in this movie. She is hilarious. Someone who I had no idea could do this. Um, and it's very funny. I'm going to give it a good good. I laughed the whole time. Now to the real laugh riot of the proceedings. 1986's Peggy Sue Got Married. I call it Margaret Sue Got Married again just because I like to be polite. <laughs> That's the story. Peggy Sue Got Married. Directed by, who is it? F.F. Coppola. Did he ever do anything else? He did not. You're right. It was just this. It was just this. It was just this and Cotton Club. Um, Coppola at this moment is in real, like he is just cashing 
to steal the phrase blank check after blank check here because I mean he's made the two Godfather classics he made Apocalypse Now he lost his mind in the jungle he comes back Outsiders Rumblefish Cotton Club I think Tucker the Man in His Dream is right after this like he's he's just doing whatever he wants and it really beats me why he would want to do this i know he was kind of like wanting to make more movies for teenagers in that sort of outsiders well he hadn't read the script for jack yet (laughs) if you had watched this movie and i told you afterward that francis ford coppola directed it what would have been your reaction what do you mean would you have been able to tell this was directed by francis ford coppola if it wasn't in the opening credits only that it's so self-serious. And you would have been like, who cast Sophia in this? Yeah, it's like, oh, clearly if the young daughter is played by someone's daughter. Right. Gotta be FFC. This is the the kind of vision that uh, makes me want to open up a vineyard. Noah, what's the synopsis of this? Peggy Sue faints at a high school reunion. When she wakes up, she finds herself in her own past, just before she finished school. Peggy Sue was once crazy about the guy she married. I have certain unresolved feelings about your father. I don't trust him. But tonight, at her 25-year high school reunion... Well, Charlie won't be here tonight. We're getting divorced, actually. She'll disappear in time. And arrive in her senior year of high school. What am I doing here? You passed out for a minute, that's all. Oh, Mom. What is going on? You're home now. What do you think, Peggy Sue? (laughs) You want... <laughs> now, she's got the chance to start over again. I have a headache. This time, she'll know better. Should we break up? Because if we did, I don't even know about it. What if you fall into the hands of some madman with plans to manipulate your brain? Well, that's why I was getting a divorce. I'm a grown woman with a, with a lifetime of experiences you can't understand. Girls mature faster than guys. Digital watches Peggy Sue, played by Kathleen Turner, right in the middle of her terrific 80s run. Um, She has an ex-husband, or a husband she's separated from, uh, Nicolas Cage, an actor (laughs) who I, I can't remember if we've discussed him on the show before. Maybe we'll have to talk about Nicolas Cage. Why am I in this movie? Don't you mean, why am I in this movie? That really is the way he sounds. In this, in this, a lot of his early performances are like, he's got too many teeth or something. He's definitely wearing fake teeth in this film. Well, too many of them. Right. It's hard to understand what he's saying. And you have the sense that she, well, you know that she got married and got pregnant very young because Helen Hunt in the present day, very briefly, is like her. 18 year old daughter and she's like maybe what 30 37 and then sort of as a gag she which is a continued gag throughout the movie she decides to go to the reunion in her prom dress which i'm not sure why 
Do you know why she did That's that? That's what I did to my <laughs> reunion. The cool outfit you wore was the tux. You, you read it for your senior You guys prom. recognize it? It's the tux for prom. <laughs> I read it from the same place. Just kidding. You still got the puke stain on it. <laughs> um, I don't know why she does that. It seems to not provide her the comfort she's looking for ultimately. No, if anything, it contributes, I think, heavily to her anxiety attack when she is well, she, a war- Yeah, I mean, she, like most people, would not be expecting this this fake award of continuing prom... <laughs> continuing beauty. <laughs> continuing beauty queen. Yeah, beauty emeritus. Um, come get your trophy. I will say Coppola comes to get it in the sort of panic attack scene where, like... The music is swelling and like Cage is like leering at her from the back of the room and she it, it almost seems like uh the climax of Carrie. Like is she gonna get a totally. <laughs> bucket of pig's blood dumped in her head? My favorite thing is it does this little right before she passes out, it does this little uh insert shot to her friend Joan Allen, who just looks like Nancy Reagan in giant glasses, just kind of like dead eyed clapping for her. <laughs> and then right after that she falls and hits her head. <laughs> this is a, this is a supremely weird movie. Oh, it's so weird. It's like it's, I texted you this. It's basically it has the vibes of like, hey, you know, Back to the Future. What if it was really, really sad? <laughs> what if it's Michael J. Fox's mother who goes back and not him, and it's really, really sad. And she has to decide, like, God, do I want to give birth to Marty McFly? Jesus Christ! <laughs> Seriously. Yeah. Well, the John Barry did the score. The great English composer. Um he did the original Second Bond best theme. John in the game. Out <laughs> out of Africa Lion in Winter. Um but yeah, like when she goes back, there's like the music is haunting and you're like, did something really bad happen? Is this like a tragic experience? And maybe it is. I mean, there's of course the other Nicolas Cage glimpse movie. The Family Man, which sure. I think is great. But I think what's great about it is how much Nicolas Cage freaks the fuck out, like, in the first couple days of being in the glimpse. Whereas, like, I don't know. When Kathleen Turner wakes up in 1960, she's she, like, mumbles to herself of, like, oh, things are different here than they are in 1985. But she never really freaks out um i disagree with that because she at that one point like she's just like she literally says in that great kathleen turner baritone speaking of women with deep voices oh what the hell i'm probably dead anyway and just goes and drinks the parents whiskey which i thought was like the most credible i think i think this movie does a really the script is a mess and like the continuity and the character relationships you're the whole time you're just like what the fuck is going on here and dear nick dear nicholas as, as much as we love him like the character choice that he's making i think essentially ruins the core relationship and question Who? of the movie the nick nick cage oh, nick choosing cage. to be choosing to be this weird i think actually robs peggy sue of like making a coherent choice about where she wants her life to be because I think he's so strange and unappealing, and I, I don't, I don't know what we're supposed to feel she feels toward him. I think he borderline ruins like the core of the movie. But I think that the movie does a really interesting job, kind of like 
wandering out into the woods of this premise of her, you know, she she doesn't behave like a Marty McFly. She's not like, I'm a movie character in this Robert Zemeckis movie, and I think I'm going to figure out the rules of this pretty quick. She's much more of like a malaise where she's like, am I fucking dead? I, I guess I'll go to school for a while. I guess, I love the choice that she makes at the end, frankly, as weird as the Freemason thing is, we'll talk about it, where it's just like, I don't even really want to see Charlie anymore. You know who I want to see is probably my grandparents before they die. Cause I'm curious about that part of my life. That feels like a much more credible 38 year old choice of what you would do if you totally. went back. Yeah, no. And I, I agree with that. And I think, I don't know, maybe I wanted a little bit more of like, a, there's something about Kathleen Turner in this role that I don't know if she quite because I think it's really easy for Nicolas Cage to kind of step in there and hog the light from yeah. her because the performance she's giving is like like even when she gets called out on being drunk by her dad, like her action is only to like put a finger over her mouth. Like, I, I don't know. It's just it seems like in a movie chock full of humongous performances, like hers is definitely not in the top five biggest. I do think she's really good in the movie. I think she plays she plays an adult back in that space very very authentically, I think. Like the scene where they're singing America the Beautiful and she's just kind of belting it cuz like when you're an adult, like why would you have any shame about singing a song if like the whole room is singing a song? You just go for it. And everyone's like, "Oh my god, why are you not self-conscious? Why are you being so weird?" But I think the script because it's so messy, and maybe this goes more to what you're talking about, puts her in an irreconcilable position where she has to be, she's a passive enough character that she ended up where she ended up in the present day, where she doesn't want to be. But we don't really see her figure out like how to take that more active role in her life, like how to be the third biggest character in the movie instead of the sixth. You know what I'm saying? I think that's, the writing goes into that. Sure. And I applaud this movie so hard for not being that stupid Danny Boyle movie where the guy writes all the Beatles songs. Um, <laughs> yesterday. But yesterday. Right. But I don't know. It's just kind of a weird setup that, you know, it's like a goofy Hollywood premise movie where someone goes back in time, yet there are no payoffs for any of the gambits that she has to like help people fix stuff. Right. Like she doesn't help him write a song. She like doesn't help Richard Norvik, uh, like invent anything that he's going to invent anyway. Uh, character actor, Kevin J. O'Connor is going to continue to write that book. Maybe he's a beatnik, but maybe their, their one night stand was the thing that, was real and happened and changed something. I don't know. I, again, I, I think that part is, you know, like that sort of cliche about someone being like, if you go back to high school, like now, like, wouldn't you just like absolutely crush it? Like with your adult brain or whatever. And I think that the, the plot line with Kevin J O'Connor, where he plays the sort of Kerouac wannabe, who's sort of like an outsider at this white bread, whatever school, where she does go and she's just like, well, maybe I'll just go try to sleep with the most interesting person in my school who I never got to know. And then it turns out he's just a pretentious teenager. Um, but yeah, like, what does it all mean for her? That's right. my big question. Like, I don't think it really gets to the core of 
Peggy Sue and what she ever wanted. Totally. And then she has that moment, too, where she kind of stands up to what's-her-name, the gossipy journalist girl, yeah. and, like, squirts the ink on her. But again, like, what is that? Like, she doesn't do the thing. And then she, of course, ends up with Nicolas Cage, who, when you return to fucking 1985, he looks like Count Dracula, like, with this hair. And he, like, they've, he looks like he should be in the interview with a vampire, like, with his skin falling off. Well, the only thing he's ever wanted to do in his life is play Nosferatu. And he just finds every <laughs> opportunity to get to try to do that. I believe in this movie he, like, pretends to sucker blood. Does he not? Yeah, in one of the in the transition scene. Yeah, and later he's like, on he's I, like, "I'm Nosferatu in this scene. <laughs> this makeup, this old makeup, gives me the idea to do Vampire's Kiss in a few years." <laughs> it's like when, you know, the the one really good t- kid on the little league team like tries to, you know, put the whole team on his back, but ultimately like they would be slightly better if the team just had chemistry between a bunch of mediocre players. Mm. And this is what this feels like with with Nick kind of putting it on its back. But yeah, he like really outshines in an annoying way the the more nuanced performances that this movie is contains. Well, yeah, he I th- I like that metaphor except I would take it one step further of like he's the kid who's like I'm the star of my little league team, but we should all hold the bat from the other side and swing with the handle. <laughs> Right. He, like, kicks out the coach, too. Starts directing the movie himself. Not helping. And famously, Kathleen Turner just fucking hated him for doing it. By the way, he's... Anyone can find this on the internet. But he didn't want to do this movie. Francis Ford Coppola's his uncle. He's like, Nick, I really want you to do it. Nick's like, well, I'll do it... He's basically like, I'll get to do it if I can do the character outlandishly. Now, granted, people didn't know who Nick Cage was at the time. So Francis Ford Coppola was like, whatever that means, you go right on ahead. Nick decides, I want to do the voice of Pokey from the Gumby show. That's the voice he's doing here. Like on um, purpose? Or you're yeah. you're making the link yourself? Nope. Nick Cage. I got that voice from Pokey on the Gumby show. He said it many times in interviews through the years. There's so little reason for the character of Charlie to be doing that. there Again, there's this brief moment where she goes back in time and he's like, hey, babe, what are you doing? And I, it seems like the joke is if you went back and like saw the person that you really had the hots for at 17 and you realized that they were talking like Pokey from the Gumby show, you would take your life in a different <laughs> direction. But of course, that's not where this fucking movie goes. You would realize they were doing Pokey from the Gumby show and you would be just as in love with them as you ever were, but in a different way. (laughs) I think it's hilarious too, that the movie has numerous scenes where Nicolas Cage is singing to like a large group of people and people remark the way they would in walk hard. Like, Oh my God, he's so good. And he's not like Nicolas Cage is not that good of a singer. And there's this sort of cognitive dissonance between like, like he's fine, but he's going to end up, like making bad home movie like insert material for the family man singing out of key. Like he's not going to go on to be in a, you know, the Les Mis musical or something. Well, he does get turned down by the record exec. Like I think Charlie does. Bad. Yeah. Yeah. We, if we haven't 
said it outright. Nicolas Cage is in a doo-wop group with Jim Carrey in this film. Yeah, they've, they've fashioned themselves after Dion and the Belmonts. What do you think is the funniest thing he says in this film, Noah? Well, I really thought it was, what's the point of being a teenager if you can't dress weird? I'm going to have to disagree. I believe it is the scene where Peggy Sue decides that she wants to have sex with the teenage version of her husband. She's talking about, you know, get your dick out, husband-to-be. Doesn't Lucky Chucky want to come out? Huh? No. Your love machine. Your throbbing thrill hammer. Your thing. You mean my wang? <laughs> you mean my wang? Is the... <laughs> Other movies figure out how to use his outsized persona through the years, but this one is not remotely ready for what he's bringing to the table. And it made Kathleen Turner very mad, and it should have, because it ruins her character. (laughs) It's incredible that the same director who wrangled in a cantankerous Marlon Brando on location could not get... Uh, Nick Cage, like a 20-something Nick Cage to not behave that way. Listen, if the Godfather taught us anything, you never take sides against the family. So if your nephew wants to do Pokey from the Gumby Show, you cannot give him a note about that accent. Wow. Do you want to zoom to the end where I had the experience of I was legitimately crying at how beautiful the John Barry song was And she goes to visit her grandparents and she's like, I have to tell you, grandma, when you die, like, that's kind of it for our extended family. Like, I never see the cousins again. And I'm like, oh, my God, this is. Yeah, this was an intense and like somewhat moving scene because Nicolas Cage is nowhere near it. (laughs) And then two minutes later, she's at a Freemasons meeting trying, attempting to. Well, that's how you know that, like, there's problems with the uh, there's problems with how they poured the. the, the the concrete on this one. Yeah. Uh-huh. For to go from crying to like, wait, she had a Freemason's meaning about to be teleported? And then she does quote unquote disappear and they're all like, Well, time to play cards. But it's just because Nicolas Cage just like put a coat over her head and drug her out into the rain. Indeed. What do you want to rate Peggy Sue got married, Noah? I have to tell you. It does have some nice moments in it, but I don't know that it's that well made of a movie. Like, I think it has one, like, bad... When I say bad actor, I don't mean that he's a bad actor. I mean, he is a bad actor in this movie. But it has, like, someone who's just, like, not participating in a constructive way. He's a bad faith actor. He's a bad faith actor. (laughs) Yeah. And that, yes, I think you're so right, is enough to torpedo uh, the potential of it being a well-made movie and then i think there's just not enough weird in the things like yeah and the different pursuits that peggy goes through to like try to help people like even if she failed more like even if her and what's his name like had a moment where they're you know trying to pitch pantyhose to some executive who's like what like even that kind of interesting failure would be more interesting than her being off screen having the sales clerk be like We've never heard of that product hasn't been invented yet. What a great idea that you've come up with. Like, that's such a stupid scene. So 
as unhinged and weird and culty as this movie could potentially be, I ultimately think it's a bad, bad. Once again, I think I'm a little higher. I'm going to go bad, good. You know, I like a movie where it, like, there's, it's a very stock premise, and instead it sort of, like, swims out into deep water and is like, what what kind of stuff do you think I should do? <laughs> That's kind of what this script, it definitely what this has script that. is up to. Yeah, I almost, I kind of wanted it to be like, could we do a version of, like, Linkletter's waking life where she goes back into this hallucination and just sort of, like, meets like seemingly random people who all give like these weird like soliloquies or something that like inform her life like why don't we just chase the weirdness of this a little farther the moments where where she's with Richard like inventing pantyhose I actually think is like the script remembering like oh shit no I should do a thing that's like a joke about the future and it almost makes it worse don't eat the red M&Ms I would get (laughs) I would get rid of all that shit but um but yeah I think I think there's a preponderance of like weird, memorable kind of like thought experiments that kind of send me going that I was weirdly touched by too. Sofia Coppola is not, it doesn't give a good performance in this movie, but Kathleen Turner just being like, oh my God, Nancy, like, I I really wish I should spend some more time with you. Like, really touched me. I'm going to give it a bad good. Okay. Central Intelligence. Wait, no, I'll save that for the end. Central Intelligence. After he reconnects with an awkward pal from high school through Facebook, damn you, Mark Zuckerberg, a mild-mannered accountant is lured into the world of international espionage. That is 2016's Central Intelligence, starring Dwayne The Rock Johnson Mm -hmm. and Kevin Hart, as the theatrical poster claimed a little heart and a big Johnson. Look at him. Anything about that look normal to you? Let's wreck him. Here, here, man. Well, there's no coming back from that. My man! You better back up, man! Whoa, Calvin, it's me, Bob. Sorry, do I know you? Robbie Weir Dick, from high school. God, man, look at you, you lost like 200 pounds! What did you do? I just did one thing. I need to know. I worked out six hours a day, every day, for the last 20 years straight. You should know one thing about me. I'm in the CIA. Are you joking with me right now? I got a plan. It might get us both killed, but if it works, it'll be a totally boss story. Cool? No. No, it's not cool. Cool. No, I said it's not cool. Have we ever... I don't know if we've ever done... A, well, you'll rock. have to go back to the really oh, tall buildings in peril pod where we did Skyscraper. Yeah. Didn't, I don't think that's a real one. This director, Ross and Marshall Thurber, uh, directed Skyscraper. I know. He also directed the very fine film Red Notice. Right. Uh, <laughs> and We're the Mir- and We're the Millers. This is it Rossin, I mean, all the best to you. This is not a good directorial re- like resume. Dodgeball, two thousand four, a movie that I quoted 
more than any other 14 year old on the planet except for all my friends except for Um, everyone i know (laughs) yeah (laughs) but we're the miller's central intelligence skyscraper red notice that is a rough run but not yes a financially rough run this is this is a pretty big movie this is a pretty big movie yeah wait how did it do what was its budget 50 million 217 worldwide not it's bad. A hit. It's a hit. It's a hit. 127 domestic. So, did did well. Do we start with how what a what a choice it is for Kevin Hart to be the straight man and the rock incredible. to be like incredible. the insurgent premise? The insurgent Such character? an incredible choice there. And then they really give I was I was proud of this movie for giving the rock enough to be silly with whether it's the fanny pack and the unicorn shirt, like in, as his first costume, you know, whether it's his sort of like antiquated internet speak, you know, or his like weird things he's interested in, or the fact that he like completely cannot like have a connection with the the bartender that's hitting on him. Like there's just so much for him to play against his, red notice-esque tough guy uh thing but knowing that underneath that i mean it's like a it's like danny devito with arnold schwarzenegger or something it's like knowing it's underneath twins. that is a killing machine <laughs> yeah i agree with some of that i also am not sure that they give him enough to work with i think he has sort of a bogus plot line where you, the whole time it's just like He's a psycho because of high school. And you're like, is he a psycho? Like, I don't really believe these fake flashbacks to whatever happened to his partner, Aaron Paul. Um, He also tries to make... This movie seems to think that I think what what is a very funny thing to say. Characters going, what what? That's not really something I find amusing. I think they're playing with like the what what is not very funny and like that's what's funny because it's not funny. But I would argue too that the whole movie kind of presupposes in a kind of comical way to give the Rock's character a little bit more depth that this guy's a huge fucking loser and that even his partner who he believed he had like, you know, had this bond with, even he hated him and he just like didn't notice. Like he's been bullied his whole life no matter what he looks like physically and half the time he like doesn't even, can't even pick it up. And I think that is sort of a central fear that is tethered to the returning to uh, the high school reunion. The no matter what you do, I'm still like, I have the DNA of a loser. So how, mm. whatever I wear, however buff I get, whatever cool job or life or, or country saving role I may have, uh, it's, it's not enough. There's always going to be that Jason Bateman. That's well explained. We should say that the go deeper into the setup here. So the movie ends with a very key or starts with a very key flashback, um, where the rock, uh, Teenage The Rock with just like some, well, it's Scorpion King-esque in terms of oh. the quality of CGI. Yeah, it's 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 like a digital body with a digital face. <laughs> like there's no, there's no real there. Like they didn't put his face on someone else and they didn't put, they didn't like, I uh, you know, Irishman him or anything. 
No, it's it's horrifying. Um, it is horrifying. Yeah, so it renders this weird goblin thing yeah. that is like Gollum sort of thrown in and mocked by a group of people because he's naked. Yeah. Uh, he has some jocks throw him out during a pep rally naked from the shower. I, I didn't buy the timing of the whole thing. Like, why would he be showering knowing that there's a pep rally the going pep rally, on right. feet away? Right. But there was also um, some reference to maybe him like not having a like parents or something or a home anyway. That's a darker backstory the movie doesn't choose to explore. It does not. Calvin Joyner, that's Kevin Hart. So he's like the track star, star of everything at the high school level. Um, and he's about to What's win. What's his thing? The, the Golden Jet? The Golden Jet. Yeah. Golden Jet. So he's like, the principal has essentially given him the mic to just say whatever he wants at this at this pep rally because he's he's the star of the school. He's, he's the golden the top jet. Dog. He's the golden jet. When the fat young rock is thrown on the floor naked, <laughs> Calvin Joyner is just like, oh my god, man! And in this humane act, like gives him his Slederman jacket to to cover up and go back into the locker room, which is something that Robin Weird Dick, the uh, rock character. Uh, remembers um, so part of why he seeks him out later when he he needs a forensic accountant to do some CIA stuff I gotta say you I've said this before I I'm kind of a picky bastard when it comes to action comedies because yes. I te- I tend to find that comedy becomes the priority and the action is not compelling and yet we still have to spend a about an hour of the movie on not very well directed, not very well reasoned. It is literally, this is a huge spoiler for this movie. It is literally unforgivable criminal that the Jason Bateman accounting computer guy is not at all related to the central thing that they're doing nor they like have to go to Boston for the climax of the movie and then come back to suburban Maryland for the actual reunion, which furthers the plot in no way. They think they'll go to Boston. I thought that there was like, it was actually going to be a double, double cross and Amy Ryan was going to be in on it with uh, Jason Bateman and the rest of it was like a, a red herring. But mm-hmm. literally the last 10, 12 minutes of this movie is just him getting the, you know, the the emotional feels uh, of having succeeded or whatever and getting the support and uh, respect of his classmates and yeah. being naked in the process. Whatever the movie is trying to say at the end, I'm I'm not sure what it is and I'm a little uncomfortable with it. It's like it's body positivity, but if you're hot if and you're exposing very, very hot. yourself for a long, a prolonged amount of time. And people are, like, dancing very close to your naked body. People you haven't seen in 20 years. Right. I was really waiting for a Melissa McCarthy boner joke, like, when they were kissing and he's just there, but it seemed like it was teed up. Yeah, so this is all to say, like, I just think that the the CIA of it all is a huge waste of time. It is. And it's such a waste of time. It should have been something he was investigating to have to do with uh, Jason Bateman, and then they could have played up more like I oh, love he's it. the bully, but he's also involved with this, and like psychopaths end up doing yeah, psychopath things. Cinch it tighter to the high school thing instead of just being like, we put a thing on top of the thing. 
It's like, okay. No, it definitely feels like two half-formed scripts got, like, smushed together. Yeah. And it's, yeah. That being uh, said, though. What? Incredible cast in this movie. Who'd you like? I liked the soupçon of Ryan Hansen from Party Down. I didn't I understand that the, character. Well, you're not supposed to. It's a broad comedy. Um, it's a little too broad. He's his thing is like he just says like hashtag blessed. Like what's what's the joke there? What's I'm the, looking at porn, huh? I don't get it. No, there definitely should have been more with like Steve, that character, being friends with Kevin Hart's Calvin, and then like going over to the other guy who got the promotion and him feeling like he didn't have a friend anymore because that would have created the hole for Bob Stone to sneak in. It's so broad. It's just like, this guy's an asshole. Isn't that funny? Yeah. I think Aaron Paul's pretty funny in this. I like that he gets to say, bitch. He does. Yeah, he does a little Jesse callback. He does. Uh, That Bateman scene, the Oscar acceptance speech is pretty funny. I mean, that's he's such a dick. That's I mean, yeah, that's like go to Jason Bateman, uh, but he's very good at that. Uh, right. I like that's the Melissa McCarthy. Um, I like the Thomas Kreitschman as like the Soviet or East East European person buying the thing. Yeah, the Black Badger. Suppose maybe the Black. No, he wasn't the no. Aaron Paul was the Black Badger. I'm the Black Badger. No, I'm the Black Badger. I liked the... I thought it was a pretty funny ending that the Camille Nanjani thing ended the way it did. Because it was his cooler. That was a good bit. (laughs) I liked that it was his cooler. Um, I hear you. I would would volley back that... uh, I don't think Kevin Hart's funny. Well, especially in a movie where he's supposed to be... Like Gene Wilder or something. <laughs> well, yeah, this, we should say, this is the in-laws, basically. And Kevin Hart is playing Alan Arkin, I believe. Sure. Um, I mean, it's, yeah, it's Meet the Parents and he's Ben Stiller. Yeah. I've never thought of him as being a very good straight guy in a comedy duo. And um, I also, I just feel kind of exhausted by the fact that you can tell the way this movie is made that the the comedy the repartee scenes are like all improvised they're like everybody clear out kevin kevin hart's gonna do some improv and then every time he doesn't come up with anything he's just like i sort of like jazzed it up a little bit and what i decided to say is like everybody cut the shit man it's like (laughs) that's what you came up with it was just yelling be like hold the fuck on like this is listen chance every scene in this movie has a little heart and a big Johnson. <laughs> it goes to the... Okay, so the therapy scene. There's a whole thing where Kevin Hart and his wife are... She wants them to go to marriage counseling. And The Rock shows up in what is a very funny visual gag where he is Dr. Dan. He's like taking the, the clothes <laughs> of the... Every time The Rock puts on an outfit that's too small for him, it's undeniably funny. But there's such an opportunity there for him, for Bob Stone impersonating a marriage counselor to needle like what he knows is wrong or insecure with the Calvin Joyner character. And what is the scene instead? It's just gay jokes. 
It's just, oh, Bob Stone tried to kiss me. Oh, Bob Stone tried to look at my eyes. Like, what's the... Like, there... How about some fucking writing, you guys? Um, and even the, like, when they, there's a good bit toward the end of the movie where they're on this, like, plane ride and Bob Stone scares Calvin Joyner into telling him, like, the thing that he would do differently, you know, if he got his Peggy Sue. This is his Peggy Sue got married moment is when he thinks this plane is going down. And he just says the most boring thing a movie character could say, which is, like, I wish I had had a kid. Which, like we got to can we do better than that it's just very unambitious with the script yeah that part of it seems so tacked on too and really like doesn't ultimately like hold any water with the things he's accomplished to the movie like the movie really is just like he should be more assertive yeah like it's use the use the skills that you have to do something bigger because you're sort of stuck in this transitional period of your life Sure. It doesn't have anything to do with having a kid. There's all kinds of opportunities too to be like, because this is a person, right? And it's—I don't think it necessarily like means like there's some asshole athlete who, quote unquote, peaked, but like someone who was like a very popular person in high school, and then like they went out into the world, and the world is the world. It's confusing. It's cruel. It's unfair. You don't really know what's going on. You—the things that made you great no longer make you great. Like there's all kinds of opportunity for actual observations about how life works. And I, I'm not saying this should be the deepest movie in the world, but saying at, he's a 37 year old accountant who used to be a track star and the thing that would make him happy, he should have thought to have a bait. Oh yeah. He should have thought to procreate is the lamest possible version. of Totally. Yeah. I mean, it's about as lame as Peggy Sue being like, this marriage is great, actually. I'll just go ahead and marry Nick Cage again. Yeah. I think it was fine. <laughs> that was fine. Everything's great. Yeah. And I think, too, because there, I feel like at least that there is chemistry between Calvin and Maggie, played by Danielle Nicolette, his wife. Like, she's funny. Mm-hmm. Like, there are some funny scenes in there where she clearly is, like, far more successful than he is. Like, she's already partner at whatever X thing that she does. And... I don't know. I, I felt like you could have even gone further in. Like, that's the thing with Meet the Parents is, like, by the end of it, you don't even know if they're together anymore. And this one, <laughs> like, she's in harm's way, kind of. But you never have that moment of, like, oh, my God, if he doesn't pull off the thing, he's going to lose his marriage in addition to perhaps, like, losing his, his head. And there's mm-hmm. never really those stakes there, which I think is a, a missed opportunity. I agree. Um, this movie just didn't do anything for me. I'm sorry to say. I, I shouldn't say that. I could. There's there's like some funny stuff. There's a there's a bit with like um, the Rock getting tortured by Amy Ryan on his hand that pays off really well. I liked that. Yeah. <laughs> I liked that a lot. I think it, it is the story of like so many people's relationship to the Rock as a movie star. It's like you're so charming and charismatic you could do anything why do you keep doing the safest thing in the world and there's like a there's flashes of him doing weird not safe stuff in this movie but i would say the movie around him is playing it deeply by the numbers um so i'm gonna gonna do his wrestler (laughs) please anytime i would love for him to do the wrestler 
God, I would love for him to do a movie where he's like addicted to something or drinking too much. I can no longer smell what The Rock is cooking. I um, can't smell shit. Um, it's a bad, bad for me. Interesting. It's definitely not a well-made movie. But I think that there's enough goofiness in there that if you're looking for someone, something to tickle that itch of action comedy, I think they're a pretty charming duo. I think there's enough heart and enough Johnson. Little there. heart. <laughs> for this I'm sorry, to be I stepped on your joke. A bad good. That's fine. Three disparate ratings. That 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 I think that makes for a good podcast. Two disparate approaches to high school reunions. That's it. Well, you didn't go and I did go. And now we have different perspectives on art. What were you going to save for the end? You said I was going to, I'll save that for the end. I was going to talk about how it's okay that Timothy Hutton falls in love with 12-year-old Natalie Portman and beautiful girls. It's actually okay. No. And I'm going to explain why. No, that's not okay. <laughs> Well, you could sort of see that it's like... No, no licorice <laughs> pizza was one thing. This is something else. <laughs> the way Ted Demi wrote it, where she knows she's the Lolita character, makes it okay. That's It's an uncomfortable movie, Beautiful Girls. Um, a high school reunion movie we decided not to do. Featuring, featuring the hit song, Beautiful Girls. Sean Kingston? <laughs> Sean Kingston... <laughs> Uh, let me look. Oh, yeah, yeah. Okay, so what I was going to ask you is Gross Point Blank. Great A movie. movie that we already unloaded the clip, as we said. Better than all of these? Would you say that it is the primo high school reunion movie from what you have seen? Well, these were all pretty bad. So, yes. <laughs> I would say that a good movie is better than these bad movies. Oh my God. Look at that rudimentary use of the rating system right there. Um, no, I would say that that one has a much better script, uh, some real stakes, some real, you know, stayed in your hometown on we in it. Uh, and it's also good action wise. Like that movie gets fucking bloody. It's better. Yeah. Well, and it like the action manages to tie into the high school reunion, which is something totally. Central he has to go kill the guy. Try. Yeah, he's got to go kill the the person at the reunion. Like that's everything needs that central intelligence. The other thing that movie has that I think is underrated is uh, Minnie Driver is very winning in it, and she has great chemistry with Cusack, and has that thing that you're kind of looking for, not only in high school reunion movies, but in a lot of people's like high school reunion fantasies. Of like, what if I go back and see the person that, like I, you know, the one that got away, kind of thing, and that the movie, beautiful that, girl, that idea, I guess, actually works, which really it does not, uh, never works in real life, I don't think, not that I would know, um, and it doesn't work in movies hardly ever. So, Grace Wave, like, good movie. Michael Rappaport and Beautiful Girls is sort of a drunk fiend. <laughs> <laughs> um, great snowplow scenes and beautiful girls though like that on location where's that one said pittsburgh no a little massachusetts town oh sure yeah, yeah, yeah they sing sweet caroline unironically 
as is their birth, uh, their birthright. Ba, ba, ba. All right, my friend. Uh, this is it. You well, think I should go to my 20 years? Do you think that's an experience I should have? I bet you'll pass out and your whole life will flash before your eyes. <laughs> I bet you'll have to go back to Millard North and live it all again. I'll hit my head and I'll forget every movie I ever saw. Chance, chance, take off that train conductor's hat. <laughs> Yeah, I think I'll probably just end up to so- talking to someone I was really mean to, and then ap- pretty apologetically I'll have to be like, "Oh, so what kind of software do you make?" Have you heard of pantyhose? Yeah, <laughs> everybody uses that. The second hand done wine is your love.